welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development and education, and a lifelong teacher in learning. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, brain-based, self-regulation program that combines three things, discipline, social-emotional learning, and school culture. Today, we're going to be talking with Jill Moley, and she's actually works for Conscious Discipline now and helps with our long-term, large implementation programs and works with districts and agencies to guide their implementation process. To give you some of the successes she's had, we have a district in Pasadena ISD that's been with Conscious Discipline 11 years. We have Head Start agencies. We have a district, Liberty School District in Kansas, Missouri, that started five years ago with pre-K, moved into elementary, and now is at the alternative high school. So we see that often in these big projects where they start with pre-K, they might move into this, and now we're working with complete communities. So Jill has a lot of experience working with administrators. She herself transformed her first school she was in. So how does she go about this? She goes about it with the same framework. We go about a classroom teacher implementing conscious discipline. We divide it up into powers. We have certain powers, and those direct and guide our intention. So if you can think of the powers, like no one makes me angry without my permission, or the only person I can make changes myself. Those are examples of some statements that represent powers. But what the powers are for is just to keep our intention clear. What's our mission? Our mission is to help children be successful, to help teachers be successful, to help districts be successful. So our intention is to help everyone be successful, connected, and feel safe. As long as we hold these powers in our mind, we keep our intention pure. Then next, we have the skills that come from that intention, because sometimes we need an an upgrade in our skill set. And often we confuse these. You know, we think, well, I'm just doing this for your own good. Well, the intention was usually not. The intention was to get you to feel bad. So if you felt bad, then somehow or another you were going to behave better. So often we aren't aware of our intention. Our intention is so important. I know my mother used to come up to me and said, Becky, I'm doing this for your own good. Now, as a child, her voice didn't sound like she was doing it for my own good. Her face didn't look like she was doing it for my own good because she was sneering at me with this tone of voice that scared the bejeebies out of me. So somehow that communication that this is a helpful statement never got to me. Often you can think about this in your own significant other relationships. You know, are you ready to talk? Well, not quite yet when you come at me with that intention. So it sounds like with that nonverbal and that voice tone that you're going to come and convince me that you're right and I'm wrong. So in that case, I'm not quite so interested in talking. And each of us know that our intention, to some degree, enters the room before we do. It shows up on our face. It shows up on our body. It shows up on our tone of voice, and they don't match. So we want to keep our nonverbal so intentionally pure that whoever's standing in front of us feels a felt sense of safety. And from that, 
the words that fall out of our mouth are heard, wow, you're on my team. You're here to help me. So we spend a lot of time helping people change their mindset, which is just a reflection of our intention. And then from that, we have skills in conscious discipline, seven of them, that help you solve any problem you run into. So sometimes you just need that skill set. Your mind's ready. You just need I to know exactly what to do. I want to help them. I truly do, but nothing's coming out. So you need to upgrade in skills. And then finally, part of conscious discipline is the structures. And they're like the math worksheet. For example, let's say I was going to teach you math. My intention is to help you learn this. The skills I've learned from studying my math program, so I'm, I'm caught up with you. I can now do second grade math. And then the structure is the worksheet that you give the child so they can practice these strategies you've given them. Now, you can imagine if you just gave out the worksheet in class and say, here you go, kids, uh, work on the worksheet, and you didn't want to help them, you didn't teach them any skills, and you just give them the worksheet, they're not going to be that successful. So sometimes classrooms just put up structures or teachers can put the structure up, but they don't know why it's there and they don't know how to use it. So when we try to integrate this, you know, that our intention matches the words that come out of our mouth, the strategy we're using, and we put a beautiful reminder maybe in our schools to see kindness when it happens. When we put all that together, then conscious discipline becomes a practice. It's a simple practice. It's not necessarily a program. It does rely on a little bit of philosophy, but basically it's awareness the practice of being aware of your intention, the practice of a new skill that you've just upgraded, and the practice of looking around your own school or classroom at some of the structures to remind you to keep practicing. So we've brought Jill to share with you. Jill's had many different positions in education. She's been a behavior disorders teacher, a third grade teacher, counselor in schools. She was a kind of a makeshift assistant principal when the, the position kind of fell into her lap. She's been a certified, master certified conscious discipline instructor for 17 years with me. I've been so blessed. And now she's in head of large projects and large implementation projects for conscious discipline itself. So welcome, Jill, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you, Becky. It's an honor to be here and share with the audience something that I've learned about myself that I think could be helpful as administrators work with teachers. As we start to implement conscious discipline, sometimes we find ourselves with teachers who are gung-ho and super excited and ready to jump right in there and ready to try some um, strategies and ideas. But then we have a couple of other groups and, and sometimes we find ourselves in a quandary, what do I do with the teachers who aren't ready to jump in. As I go out and coach and work with administrators and teachers across the country, I've kind of noticed that they sift into a couple of of groups for me. And I think it's highlighted by a personal experience that I had actually as a teacher. And I think that that's um, what helps me see from the teacher's perspective. And so I'm just going to quickly tell you this experience that I had. I went to see Dr. Bailey for the very first time. I 
I'd never heard of conscious discipline before, and I just fell in love with the brain research. I fell in love with her style of delivery. It was um, engaging, and I wanted to teach in that way. Even though I was working with third graders, I wanted to teach in that way, and I knew that it had to do with the music and the movement. And then she got to a, a point in the afternoon where she was talking about something that we use called the safe place. And it's something that we use to help kids regulate and, and navigate through emotions and manage those feelings instead of just um, shove those feelings down or, or pretend that they're not there. And I was at a time in my life where I, I didn't really understand. It was very new to me. And I it felt to me like the safe place was rewarding bad behavior because children who had had a struggle and, and been, you know, uh, struggling with behavior got to go and sit in a, an uncomfortable place. And in my mind, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that, but I heard her say over and over throughout the training, conscious discipline's like a buffet. And so take what works right now for you, take it back, give it a go, and then come back for seconds. So I left that training for two days and I took back the brain information and I took back rituals and greetings and I took back uh, the music and the movement and I fed that to my faculty and my principal was just in awe of the change that we saw just with those um, small pieces and she encouraged me to go back a second time and hear more because we had had such a significant um, drop in our discipline referrals. So I went back, but I, I remembered that the safe place just didn't ring true for me. And so so I really looked you know, pretty particularly in the description to make sure that that wasn't in the training that she was doing. And it didn't say anything about the safe place. And I, I went back and again, I was just so engaged and in awe of how she was able to simplify such incredibly difficult neuroscience so someone like me could understand. And then she, again, after lunch, started talking about the safe place. But this time something shifted in me. And I really believed with all my heart that it was that she had taught something new. I didn't really realize it was a personal shift. And so I actually even went up to her and said, oh gosh, just want you to know the new stuff that you've added has really helped me believe that I think I can even use the safe place in my classroom. And I have really worked with a population that has a lot of big behaviors. And she just smiled at me and said, I'm so glad the new stuff that you heard was helpful. Well, I really heard her say, I said new stuff and I'm glad it, it made a difference for you. So I went back to my classroom and I pulled out the old handout to kind of compare what the new stuff was that she had added. And of course, I realized that she hadn't added anything new and, and that that information that she shared was the same, but something had happened to me that I was able to hear the information with an open heart and I was able to hear the information um, differently and when I opened my heart and was able to hear the information without judgment, I felt like it was something that was going to be, you know, able to be practical and, and I could actually do it. And so I did. I implemented it in my classroom and, and felt really successful. And I've been training with Dr. Bailey for the last 17 years. And I have to say, sometimes I think maybe I'm a little bit of a slow learner. It just takes a little while for it to all percolate and make um, perfect sense. But about 
three or four years ago, I was doing a lot of work and and training with self-regulation. And something came up for me um, about the safe place that really described for me why I had such a difficult time in the beginning, allowing the safe place to be part of a practice that I would use. And what I realized was I was the kind of teacher who, who would have called myself really highly driven. And I was teacher of the year the first year. I was counselor of the year when I was the counselor. I, I was just super driven and wanted to be the very best and called myself you know, a person that had high expectations for children and on and on. And, and what I started to realize that the more I was teaching self-regulation was when I motivated myself um, the, all those years ago and all that drive that I had, I did it by comparing myself to other teachers and not looking up to other teachers per se. Certainly I did look up to teachers, but I did it by putting myself down. Like, well, if she can walk her class down the hall, you know, without having to stop them, then she's a better teacher than me. And I, if I want to be a good teacher, then I have to be able to do that. And so the language inside my head was critical and very judgmental. And what I learned and realized and kind of opened my eyes to was that the, the safe place is a non-judgmental place. It's a place where you go and you don't criticize yourself. And I couldn't imagine in that first year, children would, could motivate themselves to act differently by being gentle and kind inside their head because it wasn't a practice that I had had. And what I realized was after I implemented very small pieces of conscious discipline, um, the breathing techniques, the greetings, I started to see a shift in some of the kids that were, were struggling with behaviors in my classroom. And I started talking kinder to myself as I saw those children responding differently. I started to change the language inside my head. And then it was a snowball as I changed the language inside my own head. I changed the way I, I spoke with children. And so what I realized was uh, I was against the safe place because it wasn't a practice that I personally used. And what happened as I sat in Dr. Bailey's training, the first time was I was in, excited and ignited and wanted to take that information back and it just made such good sense. But I hadn't made a complete mindset shift and we talk a lot about that in Conscious Discipline. And we aren't really a philosophy, we're more of a practice. And so one of the things that as I go out and work with administrators who are working with teachers, you're going to have teachers who are just going to jump on and right away they're going to understand and, and they're going to be ready to, to implement. But then you're going to have a couple of other kind of buckets of teachers. And one of those, as you're trying to implement, you're going to find they just seem skeptical. You know, they say things like, well, that won't work with these kids, or that won't work with this culture, or that won't work with this, you know, group. And so those are teachers who don't need you to explain how to roll out the safe place. They need more of that mindset shift. And the great news is, if you have a conscious discipline book, at the end of every single chapter, Dr. Bailey brilliantly has mindset shift activities. So for example, if you happen to have your book, at the end of the chapter on composure, which is actually the fourth chapter, but at the end of that chapter, 
on page 116, it talks about the power of perception. And then it gives you four different activities that you could use if you feel like, gosh, I have skeptical teachers talking to them about the safe place, which is a structure that goes along with composure, you wouldn't be successful and you'll find yourself scratching your head because teachers will continue to say, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There are also activities throughout the chapter. For example, again, one of them is called activity to remove my buttons. And so that is, again, another way that you can help teachers learn a little bit about themselves And that was what had to happen for me was I had to learn a little bit about myself and actively, you know, look at and evaluate some of the beliefs that I had. So that is the first thing that I would do if you feel like you have skeptical teachers, really think about, I'm looking for more of a mindset shift. I'm really looking for them to look more inside themselves and ask themselves, do I believe that behavior is a call for help? Or do I believe that children are doing their behaviors on purpose? And when teachers say to you, I think that they're doing it on purpose, then going to page 116, page 157, page 191, those would be pages that would support you helping teachers look personally into themselves. Let's say you have a bucket of teachers and these teachers, they're totally willing. They're in the game. They are like, yes, I, I think this is a great practice. I don't know how to do it. I don't have an assertive voice. I'm not exactly sure how to calm myself down, but I get it. I get that behavior is a call for help. I understand that that child hit because he doesn't know what else to do. I'm just not sure what to do when that child does hit. Well, those are teachers who are looking for skills. And so when teachers are looking for skills, there are also, good news, activities in the book that Becky wrote um, at the end of every single chapter um, on building skills. And so that would be page 117, page 158, page 192. And some of the activities, for example, let's say you have a teacher and she really uses a passive voice or really uses an aggressive voice. She understands, she's willing to make this shift. And so an activity that you might do with her is name, verb, and paint the picture. And so name, verb, and paint the picture is on page 137. And that would just be an activity that you might do with a small group. So sometimes principals do these activities in their entire faculty. Sometimes you might have teachers do these by grade levels. Sometimes it feels like you have an entire grade level who is just saying behavior is intentional and they know what they're doing. So so maybe you would ask those folks to um, look at the activities at the end of the chapter that focus more on the power. And if you have a grade level and you think, oh gosh, these guys just need more information on skills, then you could use um, the skills that are at the end of the chapter. I was in a school and it was so clear to me, the director of a Head Start, she had a kiddo that was just really having a hard time 
And the whole time she was talking to me, she was smiling and she was saying, I'm, I'm going to keep this kid, Jill. I'm not sending this kid home early. I'm not asking this child to leave, even though these behaviors are really big. And here was the coolest part of the story. She said, teachers have come from other classrooms to try and help and to figure out and to give it a go. And so, you know, sometimes teachers are like, ooh, good thing that, that he's in your class. Good thing he's not in my class. I'm so glad. But she had really created so much safety and connection among her staff that they were like, one of our teachers is struggling and so we're all going to give it a go. So with this director, I just poured in strategies and skills that they could use working with this child because when all that's lacking are skills, you know that they have created a soil of safety and they've created a soil of connection. When teachers are struggling and feeling skeptical about conscious discipline, it's likely that the soil of their classroom is more based on rewards and and punishment, and therefore children are more guarded. And so again, there is not any magic in the strategy. And so you would want to first cultivate that soil and, and really make a big difference. So I think that as you begin to coach, as you begin to coach teachers and trying to decide where do these teachers um, lie? How can I most help these teachers who are struggling? Ask yourself these couple of questions. Ask yourself, does the teacher see behavior as a call for help? Or, and, or is this teacher willing and just ready for new skills? So as you begin the implementation of conscious discipline, simply going through the book and doing a book study and just having teachers read the book and begin to implement structures, we have not seen to be successful until the teachers really have that mindset shift and then they're ready to implement new skills. It's been such a pleasure to share my journey with all of you today. I will be wishing you well each step along your way. Thanks so much, Becky, for this opportunity. Bye, guys. Wow, Jill, that was insightful and brilliant, just like you. And certainly your wish wells are accepted by me and everyone else and are deeply appreciated. So what's Becky up to? Well, I'm preparing to go to Washington, D.C. again, and we're going to do a, several things there, Renee and myself. Renee is the CEO of Conscious Discipline. We're going to visit two schools that hopefully are going to be model schools that we can invite legislators over to visit. And we're also going to meet with the new assistant director of the Department of Education. And we'd like to share with the assistant director what we're doing with Conscious Discipline and the need for SEL in schools and more of a comprehensive program instead of a kit, because it is my personal opinion that a kit directed at fixing children is not what we need to do. We need to all join hands and change how we interact with each other, especially during conflict. Now, what are some celebrations? Well, we were picked up by Good Morning America and a segment was done on one of our schools. So it was so exciting to see that. In addition, uh, CNN 
did an interview with Priscilla Chan and showed the primary school where we are working with them to implement conscious discipline. And you saw a bunch of kids, beautiful, beautiful kids doing the I love you rituals. So yay for us. So for everyone listening, being aware of our intention is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It requires us to be honest with ourselves and slowing down that inner chatter that covers up what's really happening. So here's my commitment, and I hope you'll join me in to be more consciously aware of our intention when we interact with anyone. Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.